Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Wrestle Life Radio. This is episode 135, Week in Review, where we talk about all the shows that happened in the past week. I'm joined by Micah today. How's it going, Micah? Doing pretty good, Kyle. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, pretty good week of wrestling. Yeah. I would say. No, nothing horrible. AEW is pretty decent. Um, Raw and SmackDown, watchable shows, weren't completely horrible. I was happy to uh, have that for once. Well, you can't say anything better about a show than the fact that it was watchable. <laughs> Very much so. A watchable five hours of wrestling in a week. My God. Uh, yeah, Matt is uh, once again not with us. He's he's he actually went and uh, I, don't, I don't know if you know this, Micah. He actually is going to the same detox program that I went to the last couple of weeks. So um, mm. he, he had to go through quarantine last week to just make sure before he obviously they're being uh, they're being safe about COVID in yeah. the state of Florida. And uh, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's uh, they're trying to be at least. And uh, so he had to uh, he had to quarantine first and now he's joined the group I hear and uh, they've accepted him with open arms. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll see him back in a couple of weeks refreshed as I am here. And uh, hopefully the shows are still good and we can uh, ease back into a normal, a normal Russell life radio, but we will see. We will see. I wouldn't hold my breath for good, uh, good Raws for too many weeks, but we'll see. We'll see for sure. Uh, I do want to start the show and talk a little bit about uh, some wrestling news, mainly NXT. So they had their, obviously their, you know, takeover 31 uh, which was a pretty good show. Um, had some really good matches on there. Uh, we we won't go into a review of that, but they also debuted the new NXT Capital Wrestling Center, which is pretty much the equivalent of NXT's Thunderdome. Um, they they were obviously at the Performance Center uh, early on in the pandemic, and they had you know Raw, SmackDown, NXT. They all taped there, uh, and this is moving away from the uh, Full Cell Arena. And it appears this is where they're going to be taping the shows from now on. Um, uh, it looks pretty cool. It's definitely yeah. an upgrade. Yeah. They've got uh, like giant screens, um, lighting rigs, similar. Obviously, it's not like an arena like the Thunderdome is, but, you know, try to make it a big show feel type setup. Like this, like I said, they had Takeover 31 there. Um, uh, had some fans in attendance. And... Uh, also had fake announcers because I guess Wade Barrett and Beth Phoenix like weren't actually on takeover, but they had like stand in announcers there. I did not know that, that what some odd reason. Yeah. Uh, but like the, the crash, like the, the crash pad or the crash boards or whatever, they actually have like fences on them. Now they actually look pretty cool. They're like, like sectioned off, you know, for fans to sit behind. So they're like somewhat socially distanced and, um, much better than the standing around people that they had in the performance center. So uh, overall an upgrade. Yeah. And it, it definitely fits NXT's feel a lot more than the Thunderdome would, or even right. just the regular performance center. Uh, Cause NXT has always had a different feel than, than raw or SmackDown, like an underground, maybe studio wrestling kind of feel. Yeah. And, and the I, chain I fences really on the, uh, the walls kind of reinforce that. Yeah. I, I like it. I think it's, I think it's a really good uh, venue for them. Yeah, I think so. And they supposedly they're saying they're not going away from full cell, which I don't know how that's going to work. But because I'm like, well, if you got this place, why would you ever go back? Just put the stands in this place. <laughs> like, yeah. 
but supposedly they're going to keep their relationship with him to what extent we will have to see down the road, but definitely for right now, pretty good upgrade. So yeah, good to see NXT going in that direction. Uh, but we will shift to their opponents during the Wednesday night war. Mm. And we will start off with AEW dynamite this week. Yeah. Start, us, start us off Showing at Daly's place as yes. has been for the last, it feels like nine years. Um, yeah, I will say too, interesting that like most wrestling companies other than I think New Japan and of course WWE are all doing outdoor shows and that includes AEW, but yeah. WWE is still doing the Thunderdome and obviously the Capital Wrestling Center, uh, both indoors. So that's interesting. Yeah, it for sure is. And I think that's the way to do it. Uh, I mean, for health and safety reasons, I mean, outdoor is kind of the way to go if you're going to have fans. Uh, but Thunderdome hasn't actually brought in fans. And you said the Capital Arena does. Are those just like regular fans or were they like wrestlers or what was the deal I there? I think they are. Okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're regular fans. And they had masks on. I think from, from what I hear, they, they took their mask off like as soon as they got in there and they had to be told, uh, no, put your mask back on, which is good. Yeah. And I know <laughs> but, for sure, uh, like when we were at Daly's Place for uh, All Out, there were people actually scouting, looking for people without masks and they'd come over and they'd be like, you got to put your mask on or you got to leave. So, I mean, you got well, to do it. You got to do it. SMU kicked out their entire student section for not wearing masks. So it's, yeah. it's good to see some people are enforcing the rules. If you want, if you want to live the new normal, you got to follow the rules or else you're just going to have to stay home for longer. I mean, you got to follow yeah. the rules. You're going to be out and about. But yeah, so let's wear a mask, guys. Yeah, yeah, wear your mask for real, guys. Uh, let's get into AEW. Yeah, we have a great show tonight. We have Darby Allen versus Ricky Starks. What a great way to start the show. They've been building this feud for weeks now, and here we are mm-hmm. finally seeing a singles match between these two. And uh, Ricky Starks comes in. He's making his entrance. He's carrying a body bag, which, a little spoiler alert, it's actually, it's actually a garment bag, like people would hang like a dress in. But it's got Darby's name on it. You get the idea. It's supposed to be a body bag. And uh, is. Darby's done that before, so it's probably... Yeah, it, uh, hopefully we don't see Darby in a body bag getting thrown over the ropes onto the ramp anytime soon again. That was rough. Mm-hmm. Um, but this match, however, was fantastic. And this was not a hardcore match. I mean, the match started out with a slap to the face of Darby Allen from Ricky Starks. And that's basically how the whole match was. It was just a straight, no frills, no weapons. It was just a fight, a really good wrestling match. Uh, Brian Cage at one point tries to get involved. But Will Hobbs actually comes in for the save. He dragged him backstage. Uh, they're both shirtless, wearing jeans for some reason. Uh, I don't know if that's just how they hang out. I mean, backstage. if I was Will Hobbs, I would never wear a shirt. So, well, if I was Brian Cage, I wouldn't. So maybe that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, yeah I don't, just, don't blame him. I don't know. I wouldn't tell that to Will Hobbs' face, though. I'll tell you that for certain. <laughs> you no, know I'm I wouldn't wear a shirt. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it at one point in the match, like. Darby is just beating the snot out of Ricky Starks. He runs for the chop block. Stark rolls through. And Darby, like, hops onto Stark's back for his, like, rollover stunner thing where he goes across their whole back. Right. Hits him with the stunner, which looks great. He then goes for a springboard coffin drop. And Ricky Starks just spears him out of his shoes in the air, in the middle of the air. Yeah. And, like, a lot of people complain about, like, these small wrestlers and, you know, AEW's got, like, these small guys like Ricky Starks and Darby Allen. But that spear that Ricky Starks hit on Darby Allen had more impact than anything I've ever seen from Bill Goldberg. I mean, 
A lot of it has to do well, with how Darby sold it. Have you ever seen Bill Goldberg's Spirit Nunzio across the ring? I can't say I have. Can't I'd say. probably say Edge. Edge has got a much weaker spear than Goldberg. Yeah, that's that, that's true. Uh, <laughs> or Dolph Ziggler. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, a big part of it for sure is Darby selling. But man, that was just great. And you would think the match would have ended there, but it didn't. Uh, Ricky gets Darby seated on the top rope, and he's like facing the crowd. Uh, he locks him up for a, back, a backslide, not going for the Rochambeau this time. And Darby like slides off of his back. He drops like, I don't know, like a kick to the face of Starks that knocks yeah. him off the rope. And then Darby hits him with the coffin drop for the one, two, three. I really, really liked this match. Um, a lot of people were saying it should have ended at the spear with Ricky going over. I think Darby needed this win a lot more than Ricky did. Yeah. Uh, because Ricky being a face, or I'm sorry, a heel, I think he can take the loss a little bit more. But Darby's lost too much recently. And they really need to work on building him back up a little bit against some good opponents. Uh, and I don't think this is going to be the last we see of them. I think they're going to bring this out into uh, best of five, best of two out of three, something. Uh, I see a tag match with Will Hobbs and Cage getting involved, which I'd be yeah. totally for. Yeah, well, they announced later in the show next week we're getting Brian Cage versus Will Hobbs for the FTW title. So yes. maybe after the fallout of that match, we'll get a tag team match. Uh, I would like to see Ricky versus Darby at full gear in some sort of stipulation match. Uh, mm-hmm. I would like to see maybe like a hardcore submission match. I think that would be really cool. I think they could bring a lot to that because this match had a lot of submission and technical wrestling in it. But uh, I don't know that I've ever seen a hardcore submission match, like choke somebody out with a kendo stick or something. I think yeah. they could do some cool stuff with it. But yeah, really like You know it. Darby's going to bring it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, after that, we have the vampire uh, escaping his coffer. Uh, Cody is making his very extra entrance. And, you know, I had, I had a thought. You know, Cody's entrance here lasted longer than his title defense against Brody Lee. <laughs> that's that's pretty bad. He's he's going for Undertaker levels of the entrance. You know, he doesn't want to make he wants to make sure that if someone leaves the show, they feel like they got their money's worth just because they got to see Cody's entrance. Yeah, for somebody who you know tries at least to put the younger talent over when when need be. Uh, I mean, I know he's beaten a lot of guys for the TNT title, but I mean, he he, he does you know tend to uh, he he didn't want to be in the title picture, you know. Uh, forever so that's why he did the stipulation and all that but he is very extra with his like persona and like his ring entrance yeah he's super super dramatic super extra yeah. um he's there with dasha gonzalez interviewing him he's talking about the loss of his tnt title uh his game show and how he kind of felt out of place and this this was a really good promo uh, throughout this promo i mean he puts over everything in AEW, I mean, I, I give Cody a lot of crap for him being extra, but I really did miss his promo work. I mean, in one promo, he put over every division in the company, and Cody is really a guy that can make you believe for just a moment that wrestling is real, which it, today is kind of kind of hard to do. I mean, it's still real to me. It's still real to me. That's right. Uh, <laughs> of course, Brody Lee offered him or challenged him to a dog collar match last week. And Dasha asks him if he's going to accept. And he says that he has to look at the optics of the situation as being EVP of the company. He has to say no. He walks out of the ring, and he gets a dramatic pause at the top of the stage. He turns his neck tattoo back to the ring, 
He looks at Dasha. He grabs the mic and he says, no, as in no regrets. Obviously, I mean, he has no regrets. That te- neck tattoo, he obviously does not regret, I'm sure. Uh, no looking back. No regrets. No regrets. Uh, no looking back. TNT title, dog collar match. Next week, he accepts. He throws down the mic. And man, he's he's just, he's a bit of a drama queen, isn't he? <laughs> well, just a little bit. I, I, will, I will say the one negative about this promo, uh, he mentioned being trained by Al Snow. Uh, I don't know if I would ever admit that, but whatever. <laughs> Snow is a pretty good trainer from what I've heard. However, yeah. actually, actually he, he was featured on Tough Enough back in the day and he was like one of the good trainers on the show. Like Bill DeMont was beside him. So definitely made Al Snow look like the good guy for sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, Al Snow, not uh, the best ingering worker, but supposedly he's a really good trainer. So You're not a, you're not a fan of Lord Tenzai? No, and no, I'm talking about Al Snow. Not a that's that's Albert. Oh, is it not? I'm thinking it's Albert. Am I a completely diff, different person? Al Snow's the guy that had head and like the crap written on his head, and he was oh, what else was it? Oh. He yeah, was a I, bunch of different gimmicks. He's one of those guys in WWE, but that was like his first main gimmick was the uh, he had head that he had on the Attitude. Well, Albert is also a wrestling trainer, and I've heard good yes. things about him. Matt Bloom. He's, a current head coach at uh, NXT. and he- Okay, I was completely off base there then. Just disregard that. I know what uh, I'm talking about. Please quit, don't quit listening to our show. <laughs> he, uh, I ran into him at Universal Studios. He was at Halloween Horror Nights when we were there, and uh, he is a giant man. Yeah, it's amazing very when he's people with in person. Yeah, very scary-looking man. Yeah, and uh, speaking of scary, let's talk about how scary long this next segment was. I'm not telling uh, to his face that you thought he was Al Snow. I mean, he doesn't know me. That's fine. That's Matt Sin at Russell Life Matt on Twitter. Yep. Uh, He's at the uh, Florida WWE Detox Retreat right now. You want to go <laughs> bust yeah, let's, let's talk about this next segment. I guess it's still the same segment because Brody Lee comes out with a dark order and he's somehow very upset that Cody accepted his challenge. I don't know. He comes out and he attacks Cody. The entire locker room empties out in like a pull-apart brawl, as AEW does. Brandy comes out. She hits a senton dive under the Dark Order, which actually looked pretty decent. Uh, but the brawl, man, it lasted for longer than Cody's entrance. I mean, it was it was way too long. It was entirely too long of a segment. I'm like, man, this has to be during a commercial break or something, right? I'm on Fight TV. This is not actually happening on TNT. It would be like they'd pull apart. And they'd be like, no, I want another one. They'd fight again. And just, I just, this is just killed all the momentum I had from that last promo. That promo was so good. And yeah, it was a little bit extra, a little bit dramatic, as Cody does. But AEW really does overdo these brawls. And I feel like this is probably the worst example thus far. Maybe not. Well, they did have the Mike Tyson one, which is pretty bad. Yeah. Did you hear it's- that was supposed to lead to Jericho versus Tyson at All Out? He still might do it. He, I, I think it's just because he's training for his fight, but he's they've still talked about him being involved. Some people have rumored that they might try to go, you know, do something with Tyson and Lesnar, which, good Lord, I would not go for that. But I don't want any of that on my it, television. It would, uh, it would put eyeballs on AEW, so I, I don't know. Like, it's mm-hmm. – I wouldn't well, do it, but – All Out was know. kind of a mess as it was. I can't imagine if Tyson and Jericho would have had a match. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't either, but yeah, I, I agree. This was a little bit over, over overstated. As welcome to this brawl. Uh, it was very WWE esque of a little bit too much of a good thing. Kind of made it. 
Yeah, and eight, but AEW really does overdo these brawls, man. They've since the beginning they've overdone these pull apart brawls with like That's the locker true. room ending. It's kind yeah. of been a trademark. I don't know. Was that like a WCW thing that Tony Shavon or uh, Tony Shavon, Tony Khan is like a big fan of? Maybe I don't know. They, well, there was always NWO brawls, so they would always fight with people. But I've never been a big fan of like a group beats on somebody else and like the whole locker room comes out to stop them. I mean, maybe like the Young Bucks. Of course, it doesn't make sense now. But you know, when they were with the Nightmare Family or whatever, they would come. They could come out and help. But it doesn't yeah. really make sense for like everybody to come out because like why do they care but also remember a few weeks or a few months ago whenever brandy got attacked by jake the snake and they were like the locker rooms are a golf carts right away so uh obviously the cody cannot come here to defend brandy meanwhile the entire locker room empties out for this brawl in like two seconds yeah come on guys you're still at the same venue continuity keep the kayfabe alive uh but but you know we've got a segment after this uh, featuring Tony Schiavone, not Tony Khan, with FTR and Tully. He brings up SCU, and Cash says, you know, that they did the best friends a favor last week. They weren't 100%, and they're not on FTR's level. They're participation trophy guys. SCU, they're a different story. They're two of the best in the world. They're the first ever AEW tag team champs. And for them to cement their legacy, they have to beat SCU. Uh, Tony brings up the Young Bucks. And Dax is wondering what would constitute a match for them. I mean, they had a match against Kenny and Hangman, and they blew it. They blew the gauntlet match. I mean, if they're going for Dave Meltzer's love for the stars, then sure, maybe. But other than that, they don't deserve it. So another name drop from Dave Meltzer on uh, on AEW. I'm sure he's I'm just sure. giddy. Yeah, I'm sure you love that. Uh, Tony Schiavone then brings up Full Gear, uh, saying maybe they should face the Young Bucks at Full Gear. And out comes Matt and fake Nick Jackson. And they, air quote, hit Tony Schiavone with a double super kick. Matt kind of plays it off. He's like, oh, am am I interrupting anything? And I want to say, if you want some real heel heat, I've said this before, you attack Tony Schiavone. He is a national treasure. He is every wrestling fan's, like, fun uncle. Just, come on, man. Tony Schiavone, really? And, and Very Cash much Jacks, how they used to uh, attack JR during the Attitude Era. He was always the yeah. uh, the scapegoat, like Kane setting him on fire, uh, yeah. Austin attacking him, I think. Undertaker always bullied him. Shoot, yeah, Vince, very, very Vince bullied him. That's very, yeah, very true. I think Vince did it to bully him. But <laughs> yeah. he, always got, he always got heat, so it worked. And uh, FTR, they call out the Young Bucks saying, hey, we're right here. Why don't you pick on somebody your own age, not these old men or referees? So this is a pretty decent segment. Uh, it's funny. They actually put like somebody had their fake leg in there for Nick because, uh, Nick was not there at this taping or the last one. They all taped in the same day. I guess he didn't make the trip for this one. Uh, maybe a COVID scare or something. I don't know. And even on BTE, like every time you hear him, he's behind the camera or he's off screen. So pretty, pretty funny little continuity thing they got going there. Right. Uh, after that, we have a promo by SCU backstage and uh, there's not too much to it, but as they walk to the ring, they see Sean Spears just hanging out of the entrance ramp, and he wishes them good luck. And I hope this is still building to Spears versus Sky, possibly in the upcoming, soon-to-be-announced singles tournament. I think that would be pretty good. Sean Spears versus Sky would be a great match. Uh, the one with only Hangman, and or only Omega and not Hangman? Just just Kenny Omega, not just Hangman. Kenny Omega. Yeah. Just Kenny Omega. 
And then we have SCU versus FTR. And I will say with 100% certainty, this is the match of the night. This is match of the week. This is a really good, really good match. If, if you have someone who's never been exposed to real tag team wrestling, this is the match to show them. Uh, I'll also give you a sick segue that you just dropped because Hangman joined the commentary desk. Oh, that's right. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Just drop the ball. Drop the ball. Uh, Hangman did join our commentary. He's, of course, got his alcohol as oh, he yeah. does. But uh, yeah, and, and speaking of tag team wrestling, Hangman is a tag team wrestler without a tag team partner. Uh, and this, but this match, man, like I'm not always 100% on board with the praise that's laid upon FTR. But matches like this kind of like, okay, maybe I get it. You know, they, they're real good. They're real good when they want to be, or maybe it's just the right opponent. I don't know. And I also want to say that I feel like Frankie Kazarian is one of the most underrated wrestlers on AEW's roster. I mean, his match with Hangman was, was fantastic. This match, fantastic. Any match I've seen him in is going to be good to great. I mean, I feel like he's a great value to have for the company. Yeah. 100%. He's always kind of been that, like, he's never been the star of anything. I mean, he was X Division champion, I think, for a little bit in Impact. Uh, but he was, like, always involved in a lot of those big, I know AJ Styles, Smojo got, you know, a lot of notoriety in, uh, in, in Impact, TNA. And Christopher Daniels was right along with him. But Kazarian was some in some of those, like, classic um, Ultimate X matches, like, had some of the craziest spots ever in impact history uh like but yeah extremely underrated like he he is very much a you know a journeyman in the business but he continues to yeah, like it always reminds me of like every match i've ever seen with like alex shelley or um chris saban like those type of guys even christopher daniels when he was like you know more in his prime not as much these days just because he's older but um but hey kazarian's still pretty old and he's you know killing it so I want to say he's like 38, though, right? He's not that old. That's true. Let's see, Let's see how old he yeah, is. Daniel's definitely a considerable... Like, 43. He's 43. Still a good age for a wrestler, and he's still... Hey, you thought he was 38, so... Hey, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I think he could pass for it, especially with his new hair. He looks great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this match was, was fantastic. I thought for sure it was going to go to the full 20-minute time limit. Yeah, it, it, there was like a weird... It almost it was it was kind of weird for me. I, I was enjoying it. I was into it, and there was a spot where I kind of felt like I was like, "This might be going a little too long," but then it got really awesome, and I was like, "Oh man, I'm glad this went longer." Like, yeah, it was like yeah. a 17, 18 minute match, maybe. Which I, I guess we don't get all the time on AEW, so that's why I, I definitely don't get it anymore on Raw or SmackDown. So maybe it was a little bit of that where I started feeling a little bit of the length, but it wasn't because it was bad. I just started kind of stuck out yeah. to me a little bit i guess but i'm okay with the long long matches as long as they're good uh they especially this match match. with a I lot, of, a lot it, of stuff yeah it's not a complaint i just, I just feel like it I, I started feeling a little bit like that and i was worried i think that it was going to be too long and it would kind of peter out but no it it kicked up and i was just like yeah yeah this match was awesome. yeah for sure and i was kind of glad to see that it didn't go the 20 minute time limit because i feel like that would have been too predictable, I guess. Yeah. So it's kind of a surprise uh, because the match ended with Scorpio Sky rolling up cash uh, or rolling cash onto the apron, I should say. Uh, he lifts him up and goes for a suplex onto the hardest part of the ring and uh, totally trips up Scorpio Sky from the outside and cash covers him 
with Tully holding him down for leverage and FTR retains. And I, I can't say good enough good things about this match. Um, I'm glad to see FTR embracing the heel persona a little bit more because they kind of are tweeners a lot of the times. But the more as they go along, you're like, okay, they're heels. All right, they're heels. So yeah, we'll see how the heel versus heel feud with the Young Bucks is going to go. Yeah, and uh, not too sure about that still. But um, I mean, I think FTR and best friends could have a pretty good feud if they, you know, went if they yeah. go that route. At I least think it's the Young Bucks get over their little uh, hissy fit or whatever they got going on, and they pay all their fines. Yeah, <laughs> they they got a direct deposit right into Tony Khan's bank account for sure. Yeah. Also, I'm kind of glad. So I was when I saw that this match was happening, I was a little disappointed because I was like, God, like Scorpio, I wanted to see him break out as a singles. He had that, you know, good match with Cody. You know, some people thought he might win the TNT title from him, uh, but he didn't. And then he was kind of back in, you know, with SCU again. And I was like, God, I really wanted to see him break out and just do his own thing. Uh, so hopefully maybe this will kind of lead into that. Obviously, they could still be SCU and not totally spam, but I would like to see him kind of continue and go on to be a singles guy. Yeah, so um, I thought leading into this, it was going to be Kazarian and Chris Daniels because uh, Scorpio Sky has been going on a singles run. Right. But FTR did specify that he wanted to face; they wanted to face the first tag team champs and beat them so they sure. know that they are the best. So it makes sense that Scorpio would be there in the tag team uh, match. But not only that, the fact that they lost clean and Scorpio took the pin – Maybe we'll divide him a little bit more from the tag team division. And I personally, I think Sky's going to be the one to take it out, Brody Lee. I think, I think, for sure. Yeah, I think that's the way they should do it because he is great. Yes, really, for really sure. good. Uh, after that, we have Chris Jericho versus Cassidy. Anybody thinking Chris Jericho versus Orange Cassidy again? No. This is Chris, uh, Orange Cassidy's brother, Isaiah Cassidy. Uh, apparently, Chris Jericho has a personal vendetta against the entire Cassidy family. Uh, he went against Orange, and now he's going after Isaiah. So uh, the Cassidy brothers are feeling the wrath of Chris Jericho. But uh, this actually, you know, uh, all jokes aside, it was a pretty decent match. I, I didn't have a lot of hopes for it. Um, Cassidy got a lot of Jericho's moves in, which I thought was really cool to see. But the one he couldn't get was the Judas Effect. And... Uh, as we all know, nobody kicks out of the Judas effect, and and at the end to end the match, uh, to to skip forward a little bit, Le Champion with no belt, he is no champion, but he's still Le Champion apparently. He's he, the demo god. Demo god. Yeah, but they keep calling him Le Champion, and it bothers me. They should just call him the Demo God if they're going to go with the Demo God. Yeah, they probably should. He, he even has the bandana that says Le Champion. I don't know. I don't. I don't like it. It's a personal little pet peeve of mine. Is it still in his entrance video? Because it was for a long time. Uh, I think they changed it to Demo God in his entrance, and it's yellow now instead of black and white. Gotcha. Uh, but anyways, uh, Jericho reversed Orange Ca- uh, Orange Cassidy, Isaiah Cassidy's springboard with the Judas Effect, and of course, Jericho came up with the victory. There's no way Jericho's going to lose this match. He just lost that whole uh, feud with Orange Cassidy. No way he's losing to half of Private Party. No disrespect to them, but they're not on Chris Jericho's level. But they have many years to achieve that, so that's fine. Uh, after the match and during the match at one point, Jericho and Luther are getting into it on the outside. And I suppose that's leading up to Jericho and Hager versus Luther and Serpentico next week on Dynamite for Jericho's 30-year celebration. And as I said on Facebook, that will certainly be a match. <laughs> uh, I'm going to reserve my thoughts 
for next week, week's review because you never know how things could go with Jericho involved. But Luther is not my favorite wrestler. So I don't know if he's anybody's favorite wrestler. He At least has, now. He has he has fans. Uh, there's dozens of them worldwide. <laughs> there's dozens of us. Dozens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, what should we call it? Why am I blanking on the show? It's my like one of my favorite shows of all time. Arrested Development. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Like brain fart of the name. <laughs> uh, yeah. After that, after uh, we'll get off of Luther. Uh, let's let's get on to the next segment. Kip Sabian and Miro. This was awesome. Uh, are preparing for a bachelor party, and Miro's like trying to plan the party. He's saying he wants it to be a uh, what is it the, the Amish thing? Rom Rom Kapoor. Rom Springer. Rom Springer. I was gonna say Rom Kapoor. It's not that Rom Springer. It's like you know the thing when the Amish people they go and they drink and they drink and they decide, hey, I want I want to drink some more. Hey, I want to be Amish. Loved it. So good. This is like a whole montage. Miro's there playing with the blue balls, which that's exactly what they said. I, you just have to watch it. Uh, Kip Sabian's there throwing axes. Uh, they have laser tag. Uh, they have arcade games. And uh, Miro and Kip, they're playing Pac-Man. And Kip leaves Miro. He's like, oh, you beat me again, which I don't know how you beat somebody in Pac-Man. You can't have score, I guess. I guess so. And I think there's a Pac-Man versus game at some point. but I, There I is. There is a Pac-Man versus game. I remember that now. But yeah, uh, Kip leaves to go to the restroom or something. And out comes Billy Mitchell. Kyle, do you know who Billy Mitchell is? Billy Mitchell, I sure do. <laughs> there's, he, there's he was also working in the background. <laughs> yeah, he, he was working in the background uh, at, at one point in this, like just giving his creepy mullet look uh, <laughs> around the corner. He's uh, the Donkey Kong champion. Pac-Man uh, champion. Pac-Man champion, uh, accused of cheating. Uh, it's sometimes faking. He's been score. accused of cheating, but I feel like he's also came out and been like, he's like live streamed himself on Twitch. Be like, look, this is it. This is me doing it. So I don't uh, know. Yeah. Maybe he at one point for sure held the record and, but he, he's lost it a couple times. And some people thought he wanted it back severely and possibly cheated. But also, did you notice that his tie changed in the middle of the segment? I did not. I don't know if it's intentional or if they had to like switch ties in the middle of the take, maybe spill something on, I don't know. But he, at the beginning of the segment, has an American flag tie on. And at the end of the segment, he has a British tag, uh, a British tie on. So I don't know if He's normally donned in the American flag tie. That's kind of his signature. But yeah, Yeah. the British one is kind of... I don't know if it's it's for Kip or what the deal is. It must have been for Kip Sabian. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he comes in, he basically tells Miro that he knows some people who can help Miro throw the craziest bachelor party ever. Now, here's where I hope this is going. The best thing for AEW to do as a company, to bring in the 18 to 49 audience, they do not need to bring in Mike Tyson. Nobody cares about Mike Tyson. I know people care about Mike Tyson, but stay with me here. (laughs) They need to bring in some really big names from Twitch. And I'm not talking ninja Nobody cares about Ninja. He's obviously not cut out for this. They need to bring in Dr. Disrespect. Because he's basically a wrestling character already. He's got a gimmick. It's true. He would be perfect for it. He would, he's got a huge following. He's a very big Twitch streamer. A lot of a lot of uh young fans. He's obviously a fan of wrestling. Nobody can look at Dr. Disrespect and think this man doesn't watch wrestling. He's like Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, everything mixed together. I think that this should lead to a bachelor party 
with Dr. Disrespect, maybe, I don't know, Shroud, get some really big streamers in there. If a- if AEW is going to throw down some money for some celebrities, that's the way they need to go. They need to integrate it into Twitch streams. They need to have Miro do some uh, dual comms or something with uh, some big streamers. That's the way they need to do it. That's how they need to bring some more young, fresh faces into AEW. And I think it'd be great. Great business plan. Yeah. If, if you want to contact me, Tony Khan, I'm here at Wrestle Life Radio on Facebook. My my messages are open. Just feel free to send me a message. Uh, well, do you know Miro's going to Miro's going to vote for that because I mean that's just going to expand his Twitch following for uh, sure. Now Tony Khan may have a stipulation in his contract that now he owns his Twitch channel. Oh, um, we'll see how that goes. Uh, yeah. Uh, we'll get into Miro uh, later on in the show as well because there's there's something WWE related that we have to uh, talk about with him, but uh, nothing big, but it's it's something. Does it involve uh, does it involve the table? It sure does. Okay, <laughs> that's what uh, I but yeah, I I love this segment. Uh, I was I mean I popped for Billy Mitchell, like just when he was lurking in the background, I was just like no. So not. I I didn't remember that's who it was. I've watched the King of Kong his documentary. Yeah. And I'm watching it with Riley, and I was like, I know that guy. Who is that guy? That mullet looks so familiar. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just looking, and I Google, like, who is this guy on screen with Miro? And it pops up on Reddit. It's like, why is Billy Mitchell on AEW? I'm like, oh, Billy Mitchell. Okay, we got it. Yeah. yeah. Great. Great segment. Really yeah, good integration. This is what I was talking about last week when we talked about this awful, awful debut match they had. And I said, I, I wish they would have held off and just like let him do promos for a while. Like this is exactly what I wanted. Like, yeah, they, they should have, they should have. The, the relationship between him and Kip is like becoming a reality. Like they didn't look like they belong together at all in the start, but like they keep doing these segments and I'm going to be a big fan of this team. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it is awesome. I loved it. Great segment. Go watch it. If you, uh, if you can, because it's, yeah, it's they've great. got an extended version on AEW's Twitter as well. It's got a little oh, bit. I, I've seen the extended one, so I'll do yeah, it. It's got the laser tag, and uh, he says the S word like twice in the laser tag thing, so I guess that's why they cut that. Um, it's just a little a little bit extra. I'm yeah. sure they cut it down for TV. But yeah, uh, after that, we have the best friends backstage. Dasha's talking to the best friends, asking them where they're at mentally. But FTR comes up and interrupts. They say the best friend's spot is in the middle of the card. They're comedic backyard wrestlers, and they can be the comic relief that everybody needs. But FTR is above them, and that's okay. Best friends kind of jump at him and make him flinch. Orange Cassidy grabs the microphone, looks at him, looks at him. They're kind of standing there like back, kind of scared still. Orange Cassidy looks into the camera and says, Loonies. And then leaves. <laughs> Promo of the year, guys. Promo of the year. Uh, and that leads straight into Orange Cassidy's entrance. For Orange Cassidy versus Preston Vance. Uh, they're calling him Tin, but his name is Preston Vance. I prefer it when they put the whole name in there, especially when it works so well, like Preston Vance. So good. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've personally enjoyed Preston Vance since his first time uh, on AEW, which was in a tag match with Sean Spears that never aired. Uh, it was a dark match on the New Year's episode of Dynamite we were at. And this match is no different. Uh, he starts the match by removing Orange Cassidy's glasses. He puts them on John Silver, who does his thing on the apron. John Silver is a national treasure. I can't believe, looking back, the Beaver Boys, when they started in AEW, now they're some of my favorite things on AEW and on BTE. It's crazy. He's there mocking Orange Cassidy. He's, he's uh, Preston Vance sticks Orange Cassidy's hands in his pants. 
Uh, but he does overcome. I really did enjoy this match. It's definitely improved over Orange Cassidy versus Brody Lee. But, of course, Orange Cassidy comes up with the win. He hits a Tornado DDT and then an Orange Punch on 10 to come up with a victory. So, good, solid match. Uh, it made Orange Cassidy look really good. It made the Dark Order look really funny, which I think is the direction they need to keep going with them. And speaking John of- Silver, also a big fan of titties, by the way. Yeah, he, uh, Johnny, Johnny Thirsty, as he said. And if you haven't watched BTE this week, you have no idea what we're talking about. My wife, my wife was watching that with me and she was like, is this what guys do when they're alone? Like without women? Like, is this how they act? I was like, no, that's, that's how he acts. Maybe some people, but I I can't, I can't, uh, I can't argue with the dude. (laughs) Oh, man. I've done some pretty stupid stuff with my friends. So. <laughs> That's for sure. That's for sure. But yeah, uh, speaking of funny segments, we have MJF and the Inner Circle. Uh, MJF comes into Chris Jericho in the Inner Circle's locker room. And MJF is there to offer him a gift as a congrats for their big win tonight. Uh, MJF begins to unwrap it. He pulls out a nice-looking jacket. He's got one for Jake Hager. He's got one for Ortiz, one for Santana, and of course, one for Jericho. He's looking, he's like, oh, oh, Sa- where, uh, where's Sammy's jacket? He looks to Wardlow. He's like, Wardlow, what's going on? Was it in here when you packed it? And Wardlow's like, nope. And he's like, no, Sammy, I've, I've got one. It was there. Wardlow was there, right? Oh, this is embarrassing, Sammy. He tells Sammy, of course, this was not intentional. Sammy says, whatever, bro. Just, what do you, why are you here? What are you doing here? And then Chris Jericho says, Sammy, shut up. What are you doing? Why are you here? He like repeats verbatim what Sammy just said. Fantastic. Uh, MJF says that he's there to congratulate Chris Jericho. And Jericho says, yeah, these jackets are great, but do you remember a long time ago, MJF, I asked you a question. And MJF says, I I think I'm picking up what you're putting down here, but. And and Chris Jericho says, MJF, do do you want to join the inner circle? And MJF says. Jericho, I asked you a question a long time ago. You never really got back to me. Do you want me to join the inner circle? And Jericho says, no, do you want to join the inner circle? And they go back and forth, hearkening back to the segment way back on Dynamite. Remember when fans were a thing? Yes. Crazy times. Uh, They go back and forth a little bit. Hager steps up to Jericho uh, and and steps up to Wardlow uh, face-to-face. MJF and Jericho's like, no, no, it's cool. Jericho says he appreciates the gift. It's a very classy move, a very MJF move. And MJF says, no, it's a very Chris Jericho move for you to notice that it was a very MJF move for me to give you the jacket. MJF tells them to enjoy the jacket, and, and they leave. And Sammy's like about to call MJF a loser. And Jericho stops him and is like, no, maybe maybe he's not. So what are we alluding here? Are we alluding that maybe MJF's trying to take Sammy's place in the inner circle? Or maybe... Uh-huh. I like where it's going now. Are we trying to allude to MJF taking over the inner circle? I don't know. We'll see where it goes. Either way, I like MJF and Chris Jericho together. I think it's great. Yeah, for sure. Maybe we need to have a match between Chris Jericho and MJF with the stipulation winner gets the inner circle. Oh, that'd be interesting. And then everyone leaves because MJF is the worst. Or, or Scarf versus Jacket or something. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. Scarf versus Jacket. Uh, after that, we had Britt Baker versus Red Velvet, and obviously this was a squash match to get Britt Baker back in, in the groove of things, but I'll be honest, I really enjoyed it. 
she's been yeah she's been out of commission for quite some time and she hasn't wrestled a real match in like over two months i think but she looked like super strong in this match and not like just in the ring but like obviously her time off she spent a lot of time pumping iron because like her arms are big she's looking strong she's looking swole big swole Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah i'm glad to see her back and i was glad to see her get the win Uh, after the match rebel hands her a surgical glove and she locks in the mandible claw to red velvet furthering her heel persona and yeah i'm glad to see Britt baker back red velvet has actually been pretty impressive in the squash matches i've seen of her although they are just squash matches so not not a whole lot to him yeah i see a push in her future i mean i know she's kind of been the punching bag but she's been on aw dark a lot she's mm-hmm. obviously made it to this show she's been on dynamite uh, a couple times definitely paying her dues and i think she'll eventually yeah. she'll she'll it'll turn into something so i think so, so. red velvet I I know she's, you're got a, she's got a great yeah no, where are you listening red velvet she's got a great uh uh persona and everything to her i think they could really do something with her yeah. uh after that we have eddie kingston coming out he's uh brought to the ring with the lucha brothers and bryce rimsburg no blue butcher in the blade to be seen i thought for sure maybe they were like exposed to the virus didn't make the tapings. We didn't see him last week either. But uh, Eddie Kingston's in the ring. He's breaking it down, saying he did not tap to Moxley's bulldog choke last week. Therefore, he never lost. He scolds Bryce Rimsburg, saying that he thought they were friends. They traveled the Indies together, and this is what he does to him. Uh, Bryce Rimsburg says he was just doing his job, trying to protect Kingston. It was just business. You know, they they may be friends, but when it comes to being in the ring, it's all business. Uh, Kingston says that he was so angry after last week's match that he hit up Tony Khan. And they decided that tonight, Moxley will face an opponent of Eddie Kingston's choosing. And we all thought that Pentagon was going to be for sure it. I mean, Pentagon even shared a picture on Instagram of Pentagon versus Moxley. And and they even alluded to that in the show, but no. Kingston said it won't be him this week. And spoiler alert, it's not going to be Pentagon. Uh, Eddie Kingston said he's not feeling up to it. And he has to have a word with Bryce Rimsburg first. They begin to like circle Bryce Rimsburg, this little tiny referee man. And of course, Moxley's music hits. He comes out with a barbed wire bat, his weapon of choice, and his title around his shoulder. He's running the Kingston crew out of the ring. Kingston's outside the ring. He's starting to cut. He tells him to cut Moxley's music. And uh, Moxley is facing the hard cam, listening to Kingston go on and on with his promo work. But out behind Moxley pops out a very large mustachioed man. That's right. The Butcher comes out and attacks Moxley. And Kingston informs him that this is his opponent for the night. The bell rings. And we got the main event started. The Butcher versus Moxley. It's really uh, threw me off here. But <laughs> I'll say it's it was a pretty good match too. Uh, and having recently like listened to AEW Unrestricted podcast with uh, Butcher and the Blade... It's crazy to think the Butcher is 42 years old and only started wrestling at 36 while also keeping a full-time touring schedule with his band. So that's just crazy to me. And then now yeah. he's here main eventing Dynamite against the number one wrestling of, wrestler in the world, according to the PWI 500 at least. So I, I think for sure the Butcher and the Blade have definitely seen some improvements throughout their tenure at AEW. And I was glad to see a little bit of focus on the Butcher tonight. I think he has an appeal as a singles competitor. I don't think they should break up the Butcher and the Blade, of course. But I think he came off very well in this match. You get a lot of offense on uh, John Moxley. But, of course, John Moxley's not losing the belt to the Butcher. 
John Moxley did retain after a superplex, a DDT, and then choking him out with the bulldog choke. Or actually, he made him tap. He tapped out, which I, I wish he would have knocked him out. I don't think the butcher needed to tap there, but he's not quite on the same level as John Moxley, so I understand what they're doing there. They don't want to overdo the passing out thing either. He did it to Brody Lee. He did it to Eddie Kingston. They don't want to overdo it. But seeing him tap was a little bit weird. This was this was very much a what Vince used to love to do, which was put your top babyface against a big, like fat or big giant mean guy, and have him overcome it. Um, he in you know in recent years has had to where the babyface gets killed by the guy, and you know nobody gets over. But here, AEW did it the classic and the right way of having this monster come in, have Moxley go toe-to-toe with him. Uh, I mean, it wasn't the prettiest match, but hey, not the prettiest the guys either. So they just like a bunch of clobbering, you know, just a fight basically with these two dudes. And Moxley got the better of him. It took everything he had to. He hit like a paradigm shift, put him in the bulldog choke and beat him. So yeah, I thought this was, this was pretty good. It wasn't the best match on the show by far, but yeah, I thought it was good. A lot of really good matches on this show yeah, I mean, it's not going to be a pay-per-view caliber title match. Uh, no. But for, for what it was and for the Butcher being who he is, I thought it was good. But you know what? We're not getting the same three competitors, three pay-per-views in a row. That's true. So, yeah, uh, I, I thought the show was really good. The show kind of felt like the calm before the storm, kind of like it was building up a lot of stuff. Um, but I really enjoyed the show. Uh, I don't, man, I can't think of... I'm trying to think of something I didn't enjoy. The brawl. The brawl sucked. The brawl was really bad. Uh, it really took away a lot from the show, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, I think the show probably gets a B plus. Some really, really good matches. But man, that brawl was bad. It really did suck me out of the show for a while. Um, yeah, that went on a little too long for sure. I didn't hate it as much, I guess. But um, but yeah, I, I can argue with it. I think it was... I'm, I'm right there with you. I think it was a pretty good show. Yeah, so I, think, I think it was a B-plus show. Sounds good. Well, well what, did now, you think, what did you think that Raw and SmackDown were, Kyle? Were they B-plus shows? We'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, so we'll start with SmackDown. Um, kind of going on with the, the new format that we've been you know looking into. I, I think I, I went along last week with the order of the show, but this week I'm going to change it up a little bit and just really talk about the big angles on the show because um, – WWE has a tendency now to spread these out throughout the show, which I think is great, but there's a lot of like 30 second or one minute or two minute like sections. And then it goes to something else and it just kind of jumps around. So we're going to focus on the entire angles throughout the show and the big moments and then review all the small, smaller moments at the end. So obviously uh, coming out of clash of champions, we had, you know, the Roman Reigns, Jey Uso um, story. So that's kind of what everybody's looking forward to on SmackDown. And it's what opened the show. We got a recap of the Classic Champions main event. Um, of obviously, Roman Reigns beating Jey Uso. And obviously, Matt and I praised the ending of that, the storytelling of Roman, Roman wanting Jey to admit that he was the tribal chief, which he never did, uh, and basically beat him down. So we open with Roman and Paul Heyman coming out. They come to the ring for uh, a ceremony where they're actually going to crown Roman, Ra- at Roman Reigns as the tribal chief. So Heyman starts listing uh, the history of Roman Reigns' family, his like lineage. Uh, when Roman grabs the mic uh, from Paul Heyman, says he doesn't want to be recognized as the tribal chief 
because Jay never did it himself. So he calls Jay out to the ring to do it. Uh, Jay comes out. He says he never gave up. And if his brother had not thrown in the towel, he would be universal champion. I laughed a hearty laugh because that is BS, but a Jeff whatever. Hardy laugh? very much. So uh, a Matt Hardy laugh very much. So uh, just cause this is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Cause he was beaten to a pulp, but whatever. Uh, so Roman said, uh, class of champions. It was actually the worst night of his career and his personal life saying he, he didn't want to do it to Jay, but uh, he just wanted him to get the main event payday that he thought he deserved, but he didn't want to have to do what he did. Uh, he's kind of, he, obviously he's the heel in this situation, but he's still kind of playing like the innocent tweener of like, he's, he's pretending like, or not even necessarily pretending he's saying that he actually cares about him, but he's, he wants to submit himself as a tribal chief as the head of SmackDown. And he's going to have to do whatever he can to keep his title and keep his spot. So, I mean, That's a much better that, way to handle being a heel to me than being just like evil tying exactly. him into the train tracks kind of thing. That's what a heel should be. And it's why he's getting over in this role. I mean, he's clearly the bad guy and you're rooting for Jay against him, but he's still over as a heel. He's not just like doing it for, you know, a horrible reason or something that doesn't make any sense. So yeah, you don't mustache. Yes, for sure. No, no butcher mustache for Roman, even though he probably still make it work. Uh, so he, he he's basically claims that he's been the tribal chief since he was born and really just wants Jay to admit it. Um, and he basically said, Jay, you embarrassed the family and broke his heart at uh, Class of Champions. Jay gets caught looking at Roman's belt on his shoulder and Roman notices. So he says, oh, you, you want another shot? I don't care. You want another one? I'll, I'll give it to you. Uh, he said, you want to do it at Hell in the Cell? Let's do it. But warned him and said, if we do this, that uh, these are going to be the highest consequences uh, or they said the highest consequences were going to be at stake. And they were actually going to be the highest stakes in WWE history, which was kind of confusing. So Reigns walks off. The announcers talk about like, what is he talking about? These high stakes that he's talking about. Uh, Jay doesn't back down. He's promising he's going to defeat Reigns. And as Reigns is walking out, AJ Styles music hits. Uh, so he comes out. Uh, he confronts Jay, talks about how he deserves a title shot more. Jay super kick styles, obviously not approving of this. <laughs> Hits a cross body over the announce table. They start brawling and we go to a break. This leads to a match between Jay Uso and AJ Styles, which was a really good match. Really good way to kick off the show uh, as a first match. Um, and honestly, Jay Uso picked up the win here and it was a much needed win over. I mean, if he's going to go in the hell in the cell, he needs to beat people of note, especially if he's going to have a good singles run and we're going to have to believe that he can beat Roman. So uh, just an awesome match. AJ had control early and Jay was able to make a comeback uh, powered out of a corner. He had a Samoan drop for a near fall, uh, went for a super kick, but ate a Pele instead. Uh, he was able to fight back. Um, they were fighting on the apron and he had an enziguri to AJ knocked him to the floor. Uh, Jay Uso hit a suicide dive. Um, he got AJ into the ring, goes for a Samoan splash, but AJ got the knees up. Uh, AJ set it for the, a phenomenal forearm, but Jay like super kicked the ropes as he was jumping and uh, basically hung up AJ. Uh, he basically fell on the ropes on his stomach. Like it was pretty creative counter. Um, so Jay hit the super kick on the ropes, then hit AJ with the super kick as he's hung up on the ropes, put him in the center of the ring, hit him with another super kick, then went up to uh, for the top rope, hit the Samoan splash and picked up the win. It was an awesome match. Uh, great way, like I said, to kick off the show. Another thing that was pretty cool, 
as Jay was hitting the splash, which is, you know, his new finisher move as a uh, singles wrestler, he like looked at the hard camera and just like stuck his tongue out and did like a Samoan style, like face uh, pose as he was doing it. Um, what sucked was that the cameras and Kevin Dunn could not pick up this like this moment on the hard cam or like nobody caught it when he was doing it. And so we didn't actually get a good shot of the replay, but I noticed it and it was pretty awesome. So hopefully next week he does it again and they actually catch it this time because it could be a pretty cool. I mean, like nobody ever does that, but it was very Samoa and like kind of sticking his tongue out and stuff. So it was pretty cool. So awesome uh, first match. Good way to get Jay um, over as a singles wrestler. And like I said, great way to kick off the show. So uh, the next big segment we're going to talk about is the Sami Zayn-Jeff Hardy feud, obviously over the Intercontinental title. Uh, they recapped the awesome triple threat ladder match that uh, Sami, Jeff, and AJ were involved in at Clash of Champions. Uh, and then after we got a promo from Sami Zayn in the back, where uh, and this is actually after the first segment um, with uh, in the first match. So Zayn has both IC titles with him that he won in the ladder match. Um notes that he was first upset with management with how they were handling the whole situation, but then realized it was really the fans fault. So he's blaming the fans, blame them for accepting the IC title tournament for accepting AJ as champion when he won it. And then accepting Jeff Hardy as the champion after he beat AJ styles. So he's just completely disgusted with everything. So he brings out the trash can takes the uh, title that Jeff Hardy held previously, throws it in the trash. And so he's down to one belt. So um, he he got rid of the other IC title. I really wanted to belt Sami Zayn, but it's it's. I mean, they're exact same belt, so like, there's no difference. It's probably just a replica belt anyway. But yeah. they're I guess they're going for like the Medusa, you know, throw it into the trash. But it's like, dude, you got the belt on your shoulder. That's like the exact same thing. So it's not yeah. as impactful. But yeah, it, it is what it is. So, uh, but then. Uh, these two came back in the main event and had an IC title match. Uh, and it was a very good main event, told a very good story. Um, Sami Zayn actually, he still had injured ribs from the, uh, the ladder match, um, which Hardy targeted during the match. But there was a point when, uh, Jeff Hardy was kind of all over him to start with and Sami Zayn just took Jeff Hardy and threw him into the turnbuckle, but the turnbuckle was exposed and like nobody ever saw the turnbuckle get like like nobody sammy didn't like work on it or anything like no like you didn't see anything you're just like whoa this turnbuckle is just like exposed what's going on even the announcers pointed out and did a good job of it and it was just kind of confusing so uh sammy zane you know got the advantage for a little bit jeff hardy was able to counter eventually throw sammy to the outside and uh, he dove off the steps but sammy avoided it he crashed and burned hardy did so sammy was able to get control as we go to commercial break we come back and they actually show footage of Sami Zayn removing the turnbuckle during Jeff Hardy's entrance. So the ref didn't see it. Hardy didn't see it. Nobody saw it like a very clever way to do it, which I mean, after seeing that ladder match and knowing how clever Sami Zayn is with his matches, I was not surprised, but just a really cool way to do it. Um, and they actually keep using it in the match, which if I had one complaint, it's like, I think they put the turnbuckle back or the pad back on at one point, but I think it just got knocked off again, but they ended up using this turnbuckle throughout the entire match. So it played into the match throughout the entire thing. So after they showed the footage of Sammy removing it, uh, Sammy hit Hardy with an elbow off the second rope for a near fall. He went to the top rope uh, to follow up. Hardy caught him in his superplex. Uh, 
Hardy took control, started running wild, went for the twist of fate, but Sami Zayn countered it um, into a backslide for a near fall. Sami threw Hardy into the exposed turnbuckle again and then hit a blue thunderbomb for a near fall. Um, they fought on the top rope. At one point, Hardy shoved Zayn down, uh, went for a swanton, but uh, Sami Zayn got the knees up. Zayn then went for a haluba kick into the uh, the turnbuckle and uh, Hardy moved out of the way. So Sami like, went into the turnbuckle the exposed one, uh, which Hardy then tried to hit a twist of fate, but Sammy countered that and shoved him into the turnbuckle. Hardy, uh, actually, sorry, he threw him into the turnbuckle, but Hardy stopped himself. So he didn't hit it, but that allowed, uh, he he stopped Zane, like tried to come from behind him. Hardy elbowed him, went for the whisper in the wind. Um, Zane was able to hit him as he was like going up and trying the whisper in the wind, which made Hardy crash into the turnbuckle, like up in the air so he fell all the way down. Sammy was able to crawl onto Hardy and he picked up the win. It was like a, a finish that like kind of came out of nowhere, but it wasn't a surprise. Like the turnbuckle was playing a part of the match and he just like crashed and burned on this thing. Uh, it was a way to Sammy to kind of get a cheap win, but still, you know, it, it was, it was great. So I really enjoyed the main event. I thought it was a good match. And like I said, the turnbuckle played a part through the whole match because they do stuff like this from time to time where they, throw somebody in the post or throw them in the stairs and it plays no part in the match. Whereas here, the whole Sammy taking off the turnbuckle at the beginning of the match played into everything and straight into the finish. So I thought yeah, it was actually out. like booking a match. It's crazy how that works. In the same way that like Sammy bringing in the handcuffs into the triple threat match played into yeah. the entire match and the outcome. So yeah. I Sammy Zane is so fantastic. He really is. Yeah. And I, I would be very surprised if he was not involved in this planning out this match at all because he just kind of has that mindset on a lot of these things so i thought it was fantastic it was a great main event to the show and uh i really liked it and the next big segment on the show that we're going to talk about is the kevin owens show obviously kevin owens a raw superstar on smackdown for some random reason to interview alexa bliss but who cares about this you know brand split anymore i don't even know why we're having a draft but whatever kevin owens is on the show he says he's excited to be there teases possibly joining smackdown after the draft and i kind of hope so because i mean he's not really doing anything on raw he's feuding with aleister black that's kind of gone nowhere so i kind of hope he gets drafted and i think he will but uh, we got a recap of alexa bliss versus Lacey last week when she kind of went crazy again owens talks about how different alexa's acting how she's not the same person that he met at nxt duh uh, he compares the darkness from the fiend to the same darkness that took over Aleister Black. So maybe the fiend lost an eyeball at one point. Uh, he invites Alexa out. She comes out. She talks about how the, the feeling that she gets from the fiend, how it sends chills, you know, over her, but she kind of enjoys it. Owens accuses her of being brainwashed and she agrees with him, but she says he washed her brain, cleansed her mind and basically, you know, set her on the right path. So uh, Owens can tell that Alexa, she's she's kind of been normal, but when the fiend comes around is when she starts acting strange. But he could tell she's already acting strange, so he kind of picks up on it and he says, the fiend is here, isn't he? And that's when Alexa tells Owens to let him in. So Owens jumps to his feet. The lights start to go out. The fiend appears. The red lights come on. He puts the mandible claw on Owens. Owens does a great job selling the claw. He holds it on for like ever and Owens is just like coughing and gagging the whole time. Uh, much better job than Alexa did when she got to put on, I will say. 
But uh, yeah, Owens basically suffers through the whole thing. He finally goes out. The Fiend stands up, looks at Alexa. Alexa's just staring him down. She finally stands up out of the chair. The Fiend extends his hand. Alexa extends hers, and they hold hands together. I thought it was a really good segment. I thought it went off really well. Uh, and again, I'm looking forward to see if Owens gets drafted to SmackDown. I think he will, especially because uh, we'll talk about on Raw. They uh, they can kind of continue the story. Um, broke down the whole you know Raw SmackDown thing, but hey, if Owens is going over to SmackDown, I think it's great. Didn't mind it at all. And it's a good segment. And I think he could have good matches with The Fiend, whereas like Strowman couldn't. So I'm looking forward to it. I need Kevin Owens on SmackDown. That way he can feud against Sami Zayn for the IC title. That's true. Can never so, have too much Sami Zayn versus Kevin Owens. But I still, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see the Fiend with Alexa. I think something could go on there, interesting, and Kevin Owens in the mix. I'm looking forward to it. So I um, want Alexa on the Firefly Funhouse as Happy Go Lucky Alexa. She should be. A, I hope she have a Mister Rogers version of Alexa as well. And as we'll see on Raw, there was a Firefly Funhouse segment. I was kind of surprised she wasn't on there. So yeah. uh, I, I'm, I agree. She should be on the next one for sure. So maybe on SmackDown, she'll be there. But we will see. If she gets drafted to Raw, I'm going to be so mad. <laughs> That's the way they would I do would it. I not hold it against WWE, but my God. But hmm. uh, the So those are like the three big segments on the show. And I'll run through some of the other important things um, uh, or sub important things. I guess one important thing was Sasha Banks cut a promo. Uh, nothing too notable because Bailey didn't make an appearance, but uh, Sasha was here. She, it was a decent promo. She came out and was angry and said uh, Bailey should have known that she didn't have to be medically cleared for her to show up on Clash of Champions and attack her like she did. Called Bailey a coward and pointed out that she needed her help to keep her title, title for nearly a year that she, ha- that she has. Uh, then Sasha challenges her to next week a title match for the SmackDown Women's Championship and she promised to win. She then took off her neck brace to end the segment. So we will see if Bailey actually accepts or if they like actually have a match. I'm sure Bailey will get a DQ or something cheap, but because um, I'm sure they're going to try and drag this out uh, to Hell in a Cell or something. But still a decent promo by Sasha. We also had um, Otis and Miz and Morrison. Their whole thing is still kind of ongoing. We got a recap of Mandy being traded and the lawsuit that Miz is trying to impose on Otis. But Otis promised that uh, he won't let Miz or Morrison steal the briefcase from him in court. So he said next week he's going to represent himself in court. So uh, that should be fun. <laughs> Otis showing up in like his wrestling gear and like a t-shirt and a tie, I would imagine. He's going to have a tuxedo t-shirt on. Yeah, something like that, I would imagine. Uh, he, unfortunately, this was one of the not great parts of the show, he then wrestled John Morrison and basically squashed him. Miz and uh, Tucker were not allowed at ringside, but it really didn't matter. He splashed Morrison again and beat him. I really hope Morrison goes over to Raw and just does something else because he just deserves so much better. I mean, he's funny with the Miz, but he's just been the job guy. He just needs something else. He's too good to be just stuck in this role. I want to get drafted to Raw, so fingers crossed, but we'll see. Yeah, I really want John Morrison to to be a singles guy for a while. Yeah. He's one of the best workers working right now. He's jacked. He's like much better on the mic than he was like back in his WWE, yeah. like his original WC or WWE run. Uh, so, yeah, he needs to be a singles guy. Let him let him get the squashes as he's going out. Put him on Raw and see what he does. 
I totally agree. Then we had another squash match. I almost turned off the show at this point. Not because the entire show was bad, but I was just like, again, really? Uh, Shorty G versus Sheamus. The only notable thing here was Big E posted a like Instagram video where he challenged Sheamus next week to a false count anywhere match on the draft show. So that's going on. Uh, the match itself was another squash. Shorty G destroyed Sheamus. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I know you didn't believe that for a second. Yeah, I didn't. Sheamus hey. murdered this geek, killed him with a bro kick. Who cares? I don't even care if he goes raw at this point because he's Shorty G. So who cares? He's going to be a geek. Um, yeah. So he's dead. Uh, and then, go ahead. It's it's just pretty sad, man. It is. It's like, he's an Olympic athlete. He can go be losers with uh, Ricochet and now Apollo Cruz on Raw because, yeah, that's that's the only thing I can see him doing of any note. But then we had uh, in a surprise that uh, no, pretty much everybody saw coming. Let's be honest. Uh, Carmella is a mystery woman. She's got like you know super blonde hair now or like white blonde hair. She's she cut a typical woman heel promo. I guess she's gonna have a new look. Um, she said, you know, the fans. She believed in the fans. They did like, but she, now it got her nowhere. So she's gonna be a heel. Blah blah blah. Same old, same old woman heel promo. So yeah. Then uh, to finish out the SmackDown review, we did have a pretty good three man tag match with Matt Riddle, Lince Dorado, and Grand Metalik versus King Corbin, Cesaro, and Nakamura. Uh, pretty good three man tag. Like I said. Uh, they did have a segment where uh, Kayla asked where Kalisa was for Lucha House Party because he was not with them at first. Uh, Dorado said his head was too big for his mask because um, they're still kind of fighting each other. The good thing about this match was Riddle got to shine. He, he had a <clears throat> he lost to Corbin last week, I believe, and I was like, ugh, they killed this guy already. But he kind of got it back here a little bit. He got to shine in this tag uh, match. He got the hot tag, ran wild on Corbin. The Lucha House Party took out Nakamura and Corbin. I mean, um, yeah, took them out of the match, which let Riddle and Cesaro go at each other, which is fantastic. Kaliso then jumped up on the apron at one point and accidentally kicked Dorado in the face, took him out, which didn't really matter because Riddle then uh, was on one-on-one with Cesaro, hit the bro Derek, picked up the win. So Matt Riddle got a nice win here um, to kind of help him since he lost to Corbin a couple weeks ago. Hopefully they're going to build to some kind of blow off match between him and Corbin and he can finally get over this and go on to something better. Uh, maybe for the IC title, but we'll see. Uh, I will say though, after the match, Riddle celebrated, Luch House Party argued and he tried to separate them and was like, chill bro. So yeah, that's pretty much SmackDown this week. Uh, not a bad show. Uh, like I said, the main segments were good. The squash matches were dumb, pointless. Uh, Three man tag was okay. Sasha promo was okay. So if I had to give it a grade, I'd say uh, probably a B. It, it was B B minus, I guess, because there was not great stuff. Like I said, squash matches were just like dumb. And uh, I mean, not everything on the show was great, but uh, the main segments on the show were pretty good. So I can't fault too much. All things considering, not bad. Yeah, definitely one of the better SmackDowns in recent memory. Uh, and they're doing. Some long-term stories, which, hey, if they're going to keep doing that, I'm all for it. And uh, that trend continued on Raw this week, which I was also happy to see. Um, so the main, some of the main segments on the show, 
Uh, I'll first talk about the WWE title, or yeah, the WWE title segment uh, between Randy Orton and Drew McIntyre, mainly because Randy Orton opened the show this week. Obviously, he had the Splinter Cell style attack on the Legends in the show last week. So they started the show with him in a dimly lit room, which happened to be the same exact room where he killed everybody. Uh, he starts out by saying he wanted payback for what the legend did to him at Clash of Champions. Um, wanted to make them deal the same darkness and pain that he had felt losing the ambulance match. Um, he broke down in detail, like his attack on everybody uh, after he put the night vision goggles on, uh, which included like, he talked about like going up behind Christian and whispering in his ear, like say hi to edge for me before he killed him with a chair. Uh, he then took a chair from Shawn Michaels and then punted him. He he talked about like a detailed attack on big show and flair. And I was like, unless you've got like quick silver style yeah. power for Randy Orton. Like I saw this segment last week, the lights went out. It was like a couple of minutes, like a couple of seconds of like, chair shot noises and the lights turn on everybody's dead like yeah, none of none of that happened yeah so unless he has quicksilver like abilities i'm calling bs but uh that's what he said so uh he then addresses drew mcintyre he says it's not over until he gets what he wants which is the WWE title challenges him at hell in the cell which immediately drew kicks open the door he's like i know where this guy is <laughs> so he goes and finds him at least he kicks open the door and just like jumps on Randy, starts beating him up. They get broken up by officials, and that's what kicks off the show. Um, actually, and pretty far into the show, we don't go back to this until Drew McIntyre just simply cuts a promo, except accepts Orton's challenge, and that's that. Uh, and then all the way pretty much until the main event, which was Drew McIntyre and the Street Profits versus Randy Orton, Dolph Ziggler, and Robert Roode. We got a pretty good um, promo from the Street Profits, uh, basically just cutting it on Orton, of all people, saying how uh, they looked up to all the legends that he attacked last week, especially Edge and Christian. Uh, they've been disgusted with Orton, how they attacked them. They talked about how they showed uh, Edge and Christian showed that they could be fun and still be like the tag team champions. So they vowed to get revenge for Edge and Christian. Drew McIntyre then joined them and they walked away together. Uh, and then that set up the main event of the show for the night. As I said, the three-man tag match. Um, and I'm not the biggest Street Profits fan, but I mean, they cut a good promo. And I was really happy to see uh, Dawkins kind of, he lacks there a little bit for me. But hey, he tagged in Montez Ford for a hot tag uh, early on in the match. And uh, Ford like went wild, really got to display his athleticism was like flipping and jumping all over the place. It was really impressive. I liked his hot tag. And uh, so he he got brownie points for me uh, here. I mean, he's always obviously been athletic, but there's been times where he's like almost killed himself. Here it he was very calculated and he just made it look really good. And obviously Rude and Ziggler feeding to him was fantastic. So um, he got the hot tag, but eventually got taken out by the heels. They kind of teamed up on him and then they got the heat on him throughout the match. Uh, Ford was finally able to make the hot tag to Drew McIntyre, who ran wild on Dolph, tossed him around like a small child, just like threw him everywhere. Orton tried to sneak attack, but Drew caught him and beat on him. But that uh, he got kind of too distracted by Orton, which allowed all the heels to jump on him. Uh, Dawkins was able to sneak a tag after Drew was like kind of attacked. Uh, he snuck in, got a roll up for a near fall. 
then tagged in Ford, who hit a big splash on Orton for a near fall. Drew then snuck up like he was kind of like halfway on the apron, didn't even grab the tag rope and got a tag. But I mean, after seeing what like the Lucha Brothers style tags that they do, where they just like get in the ring and slap each other for a tag, like this was not that bad. I noticed it and I was like, eh, whatever. Uh, but it's against the rules still. But he got in there. Uh, as I say, he snuck the tag. Um, as the Street Profits were in there, they tried to take out the heels. Drew was able to help dispose of Ziggler. And um, uh, it was basically Orton and Drew one-on-one. Drew goes for a Claymore kick. Um, uh, or he was setting up for the Claymore kick. Rude comes in. Um Drew McIntyre was able to hit the Claymore on Rude, but it distracted him just enough for Orton to stand up, hit the RKO. Finally, not a BS finish on the show for a heel to win. It was just a straight match. The heel snuck the win out. It showed that Orton can actually pick up a win against Drew. A fine triple threat tag, or a fine three-man tag match that ended the show. So thumbs up for me. It, uh, it was a good all-around match. So I was happy with it. It was an actual match. It actually had an ending. Yeah, not some Novel. dumb referee finish. Yeah. So, Novel idea. Yeah, thumbs up for me. Um, probably the biggest segment and probably the best segment on the show um, was the Seth Rollins, Murphy, and Mysterio family feud that's going on. Um, I mean, it's been silly at points, but I mean, I got to give them credit. It's probably the best long-term story that they've kind of continued the last couple of weeks. It's starting to get a little bit interesting. Even though there's some parts of it that aren't perfect, they're actually trying to tell a long-term story. Um, so I, I I can't fault them for that. And it was probably one of the best things on the show. Um, we got a long recap of the Mysterio family angle when Seth and Murphy came out to the ring. Uh, Rollins asked for the microphone, but Murphy wouldn't give it to him. Uh, Rollins says, like, we talked about this all week. Give me the microphone. Murphy's not giving it to him. So Rollins eventually gets pissed off. Um, Murphy takes the mic himself, says he's done everything that Seth has asked of him, but if he wants to continue uh, with Murphy being his disciple, Seth has to apologize to Alea. So Rollins snatches the mic from him and yells at him, noting that uh, he could have shown way more of the text messages last week that they had between each other. He only showed you know, some of the conversation. So he talks about how they talked about their true feelings for each other how um, Alea says that she she's angry at her family because, you know, Dominic has been the, uh, the, the kind of the, the shining light of the family, how he's the chosen one. And she's kind of jealous of him a little bit. Uh, she feels left out. Um, so he's like trying to put, you know, Seth is trying to cause a rift between the Mysterio family. Um, so he's just kind of, you know, talking about, I could have said all that information, but I didn't. So clearly he said it anyway. So he's still a jerk. Uh, so then Seth stresses that I am the Messiah here and you are the disciple. So Murphy kind of backs down a little bit. Then Dominic and Umberto Carrillo, of all people, runs out and they attack uh, Seth and Murphy, which sets up a tag match. Um, it was a fine tag match for what it was. It didn't last long. Um, basically, the match started uh, during the commercial break, of all things. Um, so Rollins and Murphy controlled early. Couldn't get along like the whole time Seth is like shouting at Murphy, like, I don't need you. And uh, it was whatever, uh, even though Murphy was doing most of the work. 
uh, eventually they were arguing. Carrillo was took a, like hit a huge dive on the outside while they were trying to like dispose of Dominic. So Korea gets in, he throws Murphy into the ring. They're both illegal men. So Korea goes at the top, tries to hit a jumping move off the top rope, but Murphy, to their credit, hits a awesome looking V trigger, knocks him out, picks up the win. It was very short, but it wasn't completely terrible. I mean, the Seth yelling at him the entire time was kind of, you know, annoying. They could have had a much better match, but it's fine. Like, I'm not going to complain too much. It was a clean finish. So it, it is what it is. So they get the win here. They exit um, later in the back. Uh, this is one of those things I was talking about where it was really spread out through the entire show. And there's a lot of little things in between. So I'll just kind of go through the whole story. Uh, later on, Rollins confronts Murphy in the back, demands that he apologize to him later on in the show for being a subordinate, I guess. And uh, says, basically gives him a deadline and says, you have till 10 o'clock tonight to apologize. So he gives him like an ultimatum. Uh, then later on the show, we find, uh, Murphy, he finds Alea in the back. We then get a, a deadline to apologize countdown graphic on the screen. So there's like a clock counting down his deadline to where, where he has to apologize to Seth. I actually like that. It was goofy, but I could see Seth going and being like, give me a countdown graphic. <laughs> like, yeah, I guess it makes sense for his character, but it's really dumb though. Right. <laughs> it was silly for sure. But like. I, I kind of popped at it. I was just like, really? <laughs> so, uh, but it was fine. So uh, Murphy's back there. He apologizes to uh, Alea about everything. But Alea, she's sympathetic, says that he needs to worry about Seth, not to worry about her. So she asks if he's going to actually go out and apologize to him. And Murphy, he's not sure. He can't answer. So then we go out to Seth. He goes out of the ring in a good mood. He thinks Murphy's definitely going to apologize to him. He invites Murphy to the ring. Uh Seth says that Murphy can apologize and they can just move forward. Murphy says nothing. He tries to convince him. He says, like, come on, I'm the Messiah. You're the disciple. But Murphy still won't apologize. So they, he won't apologize, won't apologize. They get him to the deadline. And now Seth is pissed. So he grabs Murphy by the beard and just, like, yanks him, to like, up to his face, just demanding an apology. He's like, apologize, apologize. Murphy loses it, hits him off tackles him they start brawling they're fighting each other fight to the outside they go over the announce table they're just brawling everywhere uh murphy's just like getting the best of seth countering everything that he does seth grabs a kendo stick but murphy's able to duck it hit seth making him drop it so murphy grabs the t- kendo stick starts beating seth to a pulp like seth has got the leather jacket on but he's still smacking him and like seth gets in the ring finally seth like gets on his knees he starts begging murphy murphy like, it's great because Murphy, like, Seth is begging and telling him to stop. He'll he'll apologize to Alea. And because uh, Murphy, he just keeps yelling at him to apologize to her. Uh, and Seth is like, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. He, he keeps, like, smacking him even more and more each time. So Seth, like, finally takes off the jacket. He's like, see, like, you're, you're, you, you proved your point. I, I apologize. So Murphy, to his mistake, he stops and believes that Seth will actually apologize. Um, so basically Seth, you know, begs him off and Murphy stops, which then obviously Seth does not do. Well, he actually kind of said, it. he says like, Alea, wherever you are, I apologize. So that, you know, gets Murphy to stop. But then Seth gets up, tries to gouge out Murphy's eyes. He like immediately goes for his eyes. He grabs a kind of six or beating like the crap out of Murphy. Uh, so then 
He goes out and grabs a chair to like beat him even further. That brings Leia out. She covers Murphy up, tells Seth to stop. So Steph, Seth stops the attack. Then the Mysterio family comes out to obviously protect Alea. Uh, so Seth bails. He exits the ring. The one thing I, I didn't like is like the Mysterio family doesn't like they. Dominic said, if I see Seth Rollins again, I'm going to kill him. And once again, they don't go after Seth. He, they just let him run away. And that's like the one big thing I had, like the problem I had with this. Like he just kind of scoots away and they just go in to like talk to Alea. And basically Mysterio and Dominic like pick her up and they're like, what are you doing? Why are you protecting this guy? Even though he's clearly not on Seth's side anymore. I mean, I understand that he tried to take out Mysterio's eye and everything, but like, come on, like these guys are the baby faces. They're supposed to have sympathy and have empathy that like this guy's like was taken advantage of. Like this is Mysterio here. Ray Mysterio, like one of the biggest baby faces of all time, like have some kind of compassion, even though like, you can kind of say like, we don't trust you, but we'll help you out. You you know, you got beat up by Seth, but instead they get Alea, they take her out of the ring. I mean, at least Dominic points to the ring series. eye and says, this is what he did. So, I mean, like they have some kind of argument here, but still I'd like to see them have some kind of compassion maybe next week, but they didn't have it here. Left Murphy laying in the middle of the ring. Like he kind of looked like a geek. <laughs> He's just like dead. Uh, so you kind of had to, he had to be alone in the ring by himself. So uh, but all in all, they're trying with this long-term story. It's had twists and turns. Murphy's, you know, leaving Seth. Hopefully he's gone for good now that they've split and they don't, like, force them back together next week and try to, like, I mean, like, the same way they did Bailey and Sasha, they kept putting them back together for, like, ever, and then finally broke them up. So hopefully, like, Murphy's on his own. He can try to, like, be the middleman between Seth and the Mysterio family. And they eventually bring him to the good side and Seth gets his comeuppance. So I hope that's where they're going with this, but it's probably my favorite story that's going on raw right now. So yeah, all in all a good segment and a good story throughout the show. Yeah. I'm kind of disappointed how they've handled the whole Dominic thing. I was really excited when they were there bringing him in. They've just dragged this thing on for way too long, but I am glad to see Murphy getting uh, away from Seth Rollins Maybe that'll bring some change to this story, maybe. It's definitely become more about Murphy getting away from Seth and his relationship with Alea. And, I mean, her and Dominic are still not the best actors at all. So that doesn't help. But that runs the family. Yeah. So, like, it took Mysterio, like, a 30-year-long career almost, or however long he's been in the business to get as good as he was. So, But, I mean, they're still young. I can't blame them too much. but I, I'm still enjoying it. It's a long-term story. It's taking its twists and turns. And hey, it's fine that it's not completely focused on Dominic. I didn't really like that he lost the match earlier on in the show. But whatever. Um, it's it, it's not perfect. But hey, it's something. It's something that you can actually watch and not be completely disgusted with each week. So I'm all for it. Uh, speaking of which, probably the next best story I think is going on Raw right now. Um and I mean, it's not even completely 100% great, but it's okay. I like where it's going at least, but it's the Hurt Business uh, kind of go up against Ali, Apollo, and Ricochet. This is another segment that's kind of spread out throughout the show, but it started with MVP meeting up with Ali, Apollo, and Ricochet in the back. He offered them a one night only, your last chance to join the Hurt Business um, and gave them the chance to come out and address it. So we had 
Ricochet and Apollo versus Lashley and Benjamin was scheduled. So MVP comes out first, blames Retribution actually for his loss last week for interrupting. Um, so Ricochet, Apollo, and Ali come out. Ricochet actually teases joining the Hurt Business, you know, kind of saying like, he's kind of stepping away from Apollo and Ali saying like, yeah, I might, I'm thinking about it, but it turned out to be a prank. He laughs. They all giggle like a bunch of idiots. They're like, Oh, we're not going to join. Like uh, Ricochet's like pass. I, I pass on you like LeBron or something like that. It was stupid. So he tells him, he's like, all right, well, that was a mistake. And you know what? He was right because the baby faces, they had a tag match. They were in control heading into a commercial break. We came back. They had lost control. We don't know how they lost it. Lashley then makes Apollo tap out in the full Lashley. They look like geeks. Like Ricochet's talking smack as they like leave defeated fair and square. And like the hurt business are just laughing at him. Like this part blows. I hate it. Like Ricochet is such a talent. And Apollo Crews, who was actually getting over as a champion, are now just losers again. I mean, like I said, they're on shorty G level. And it's just so dumb. So this part of the feud sucks. So I can't say anything else worse about it. So, um, yeah, so that part sucked. But we did have at one point in the back, Ali approached the Hurt Business by himself. Uh, he invited MVP to bring Lashley and Benjamin out. He would face them alone in the ring tonight. Uh, and he would go after all of them. So they kind of didn't take him seriously. But uh, that led to... Mustafa Ali versus MVP in a singles match. Uh, the one thing I didn't like about this, I will get out of the way first because it really had to do with the match. Uh, the match like went two minutes. Um, MVP dominated Ali very much through the first part of it. Ali kind of started to come back and MVP got frustrated. So he brought in Lashley and Benjamin like literally like two minutes in the match. So there really wasn't even a match. Uh, but before they could jump him and attack him three on one, the lights start flickering. The Retribution logo takes over the fan screens. Uh, the ninjas, or AKA the lackeys, all they appear all around the, link, the ring, uh, including Slapjack, T-Bar, and Mace are with them. Um, but then AVP, he tells Musafa, hey, come on, you better join us or we're going to get demolished. So Ali's like, you're, you're right. So they join each other. All four of them are ready to fight. They, they're like all circled around, ready to get jumped by these guys, but they're going to fight together. Uh, they're all ready to fight. When all of a sudden, Ali uh, jumps out of the ring and looks like he's about to take on, uh, I think it's Slapjack and T-Bar maybe. I don't know who's who, but Dio Madden and Dominic Dijakovic, basically. Uh, he goes to face them. He gets in their face like he's about to fight them, but he stops. And even MVP is like, oh, yeah. Let's do it. Let's get this fight going. He's he's ready. He thinks that maybe even Ollie's going to join the Hurt Business after this. So he's ready to see what's going to happen. When Ollie stops, he turns his head slowly and he smirks at MVP, stands with uh, Mace and Slapjack or whoever they are behind him. And MVP finally realizes what's going on. He's like, oh, man. So Ollie smiles and he says, he points at him and says, get him. And everybody, all the goons, including uh, Mace, T-Bar, and Slapjack, jump in the ring. They start attacking the Hurt Business. They jump all over them. They're, I mean, they try to fight them off. It's a pretty good brawl, but the numbers get the advantage. I got to say, too, like, they have dumb names, but, man, Dio Madden in, like, I mean, he looks like a predator. And, like, I'm actually digging this costume. Like, 
it's it's like Kane when he debuted. Like, yeah, you could like if he did nowadays, he'd probably get some pull, like pushback of like it's kind of goofy. But once you see the guy and you're like, hey man, right. I wouldn't mess with this guy. Like Dio Madden is huge. He's got dreadlocks that are like down his back with his mask on. He looks pretty sweet. I feel I feel like Dio Madden's kind of like made to be behind the mask though. His like facial, like the way he expresses with his eyes and his mannerisms is really good. I, I think he works really well behind the mask and his is one of the less goofy looking ones. I mean, it's kind of like a predator mask. And I mean, like think about Kane when Kane actually debuted, he had a cape. He was a superhero. That's what Kane was supposed to be. I mean, yeah, yeah throughout the years, they, they, they molded him into what we see today. Or not really, he's a mayor now, but what we saw throughout the years. But uh, yeah, I think Dio Madden is actually really good behind the mask. And I think that they could do a little bit more work on the mask. It still looks a little cheap. But uh, I like the overall design ideas they have behind it. And really even Dominic Djokovic, whatever his name is. Uh, I mean, he basically looks like Bane, but... It's still okay looking. It's not bad. Like I've seen worse ripoffs. So for those two guys, thumbs up. Uh, yes, the Casey Jones ripoff, uh, which I think is Mace, maybe who's um, the third guy. I can't remember who it is. Um, oh, it's Shane Thorne. He, he's he's a normal sized guy. So like with Dominic Dijakovic and uh, Dio Madden, it works because they're so big. Like you kind of get over the goofiness because they're like man, these guys are giants. Like they're just towering over Bobby Lashley. Like it's crazy. So like they fit the part, Shane Thorne, not as much, but man, like where they're going with this, I think I could start getting into retribution. I think the getting into it was pretty dumb to start with, but much like the kind of Daniel Bryan versus uh, like, you know, versus Roman Reigns whole thing that was as goofy as it was with the Wyatt family that started so dumb to start with, you know, it, it was terrible. Like, was it the end of last year or something like that, that actually ended up turning into being a decent story. I think this could turn into something pretty good because as it turns out, Ali in fact is the new leader of retribution, retribution, which doesn't make complete sense, but he was, you know, supposed to be the hacker that was on SmackDown. And if they play that into where this is going and they take, obviously Ali has to come out next week and cut a promo, hopefully to open the show. And explain himself and if he brings that in and like fits it all together it could work i mean it's not perfect it doesn't make complete sense and it was like originally a smackdown thing and then obviously retribution was goofy on raw and smackdown now they're just on raw whatever but hey if they can make it fit in some way and make it kind of feel like they meant to plan it which i obviously they didn't but hey if they could tie it in thumbs up. I'm like, great. Like, at least you thought about it. You put some thought into it, which is much more than what they've been doing. I can't complain too much. So it was a great way to kind of end. Um, but the only, I guess the only other downside is I, I don't know who's the good guys or the bad guys. Cause I guess the hurt business are the baby faces because they're like killing the geeks that are uh, Apollo and Ricochet and they're standing tall and yeah. uh they're trying to get him to join because they're like, hey, guys, we're trying to be honest with you and be nice and let you join us before we kill you. And they're not having it. So I guess they're the good guys. We'll see. I'm for them I turning think, into fake faces. I think they're kind of just like, I don't know, like tweeners maybe. 
I can't figure it out, but I'm hoping at least now this can give them a straight babyface turn. Like I said, I'm all for it. Like let Bobby Lash be the babyface killer champion. Let MVP talk in the mic. Like let him be babyfaces. I'm totally down for it. We'll see. Um, yeah. So we'll see where they go with it. Uh, but hey, them feuding with the uh, retribution, I'm totally down with it. So um, those are like the three main segments on the show. Uh, one thing kind of that, um, Raw had in common with SmackDown this week. The segments in between were pretty nothing happening. Uh, really dumb stuff, to be honest. Um, so we had a six-woman tag early on in the show that was Asuka, Mandy Rose, and D- uh, Dana Brooke, who they're trying to force as a tag team, um, versus uh, Selena Vega, Natalia, and uh, Lana. It wasn't much of a wrestling match. Dana Brooke did some like horrible gymnastics. She grabbed Natalie in like a head scissors spinning thing, but her legs were spread. So Natty had to like hold on her legs like a geek. She like, she was doing like a wheelbarrow thing. Yeah. It just looked dumb. Uh, I think the point was to get Mandy to shine, even though she like took half the beating in this match. Uh, Asuka did the, you know, the comeback on everybody. Mandy got the hot tag, hit the running knee on Lana. Lana did the job. It was whatever. So, the baby faces got the win and then add to the match. This is kind of what I was talking about early on in the show where I think Miro's interview that he did with uh, Chris Van Vliet or whatever his name is probably still pissing people off in WWE because for the third week in a row, Shayna Baszler, Nia Jax come out. They're in their street clothes, even though they have a women's tag title match later on in the show against another team. They just randomly attack the heels, Lana and Natalia. Zelina just abandons them, who is their friend at the beginning of the match. So at least they teased that they're going to like throw Natalia through the table this week. But Lana saved her friend for, for some reason. And then she, again, got picked up by Nia. Samoa dropped in the table. So for the third week in a row, Lana has been thrown through the announce table. So someone's clearly being punished for something her husband's doing because she's jobbed two weeks in a row. It's kind of funny though, right? (laughs) I mean, it's so WWE petty, like whatever. It's just like, I think it's pretty funny. I'm not a big fan of Lana. I think it's pretty funny. I think it's very petty if that's the real reason they're doing it. It, but it, it it's is. kind of funny to see like it's like house. jazz getting thrown out of the house and fresh prince of bel-air if the new thing is Lana just gets put through tables that's fine that's pretty funny to me <laughs> it's just like shana and i had a match later on the show it made no sense for them to come out in the street clothes and like yeah like what oscar could have attacked them like uh, it just makes no sense but it was just to put Lana to the table that's all it was for so um, and then later in the show, we had Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler versus the Riot Squad in a tag title match. It was basically a 10-minute squash match. Yes. <laughs> like, Riot Squad tried to fight, but, I mean, they basically got killed. Uh, Shayna, like, just destroyed Ruby, put her in the rear naked choke. Liv tried to save her, but Nia put her in the corner. Uh, Shayna, like, held on to the rear naked choke after she had tapped out and had passed out. was, like, trying to kill her. So after she finally let go of the move, like Liv ran over after she was like dead. It was like trying to get Shayna to break the hole. It wasn't punching her in the face. Like she could have been, she was trying to like break the arms or like, you know, break the hold of her arms. And uh, finally Shayna let go. Liv cried over uh, Ruby's lifeless body. And I was like, who's supposed to get over here? 
clearly not the Riot Squad. <laughs> I guess Shayna and Nia are getting over as the mean tag team. So um, if that's what they're going for, sure. They they did it here. They're just killing every other tag team that they're going to be faced against, I guess. Because um, I don't think Mandy and Dana Brooke are going to have much of a shot, but we'll see. Also in a dumb segment, R-Truth was doing some stupid mock draft. Drew Gulak was dressed as a janitor. He rolled him up and beat him. And then later in the show, Truth, Gulak, and Tazawa fought in a dumpster. Like you couldn't see anything, but somehow the referee started slapping the count on the side of the dumpster. Truth came out as the champion. This was stupid. The title's dumb. Kill it. Who cares? Yeah, I really hope the BTE title works out better than the 24-7 title. Yeah, we'll see. Um, so it's just dumb, so let's move on. We then got uh, another random segment. Strowman shows up. He reminds us that this is the second week in a row that we have no Raw Underground. I guess he didn't get the memo because he says he drove all the way down and he wants a fight. So Adam Pierce is there to talk to he for he's like basically the one he's yelling at, who's I guess the GM of Raw now. Whatever. Pretty much. So, uh, but he's been on both shows. So like, it does make sense. Um, and they even talked about like the draft coming up about how the GMs of the shows are going to like, there's no, there's no established GM. So I don't know what they're doing, but Adam Pierce is the GM of somebody. So Braun's yelling at him. So Adam tells him since he's from SmackDown, he can't give him a sanctioned match, but he's going to try to give him an exhibition match. <laughs> to which Strowman's like, what's an exhibition match? It's like, well, I guess good question because I don't really know either. But um, Adam basically tells him it's a match that you know, you know, is not sanctioned. I'll try to find somebody to fill in for you, like, and you can have a fight. So Strowman leaves happy. So after he leaves, Keith Lee walks up and says, "Sign me up." So we had Keith Lee versus Braun Strowman in an exhibition match, to which Todd Phillips says, "This is a, this is a normal match where normal rules apply." but it just doesn't count towards your uh, to either man's win or loss record. And I'm like, okay, first of all, who has a win and loss record in WWE? I've never seen it. And like, who's keeping track of it? Cause my God, what a job. And then second of all, it's a non-sanctioned match, but it has normal rules. What does that make any sense? Yeah. None of this makes any sense. Well, it didn't matter anyway, because they had a bunch of test of strengths to start the match. Uh, that I'm sure McMahon was just salivating at. Uh, Drool was covering his shirt, or I'm, I'm hoping he had a bib or something. Uh, Strowman hit like a, the weakest dropkick in the world. Keith Lee had to like stumble across the ring and fall outside. They were both throwing each other and stuff on the outside. Uh, Keith Lee gets thrown into the steps, which has been a DQ in the past. So the bell rings. You're like, okay, well, it's another DQ. That's dumb. But it's even dumber because that's not a DQ. The referee counted them out. So this was pointless. Mm -hmm. The two men basically just brawl over the place. They're killing each other, throwing each other into things. Uh, eventually they work up to the, um, the stage and then they like tackle each other, fall off the stage. Like they had officials trying to break them up too, but they fall past everybody into some tables and into a crash pad. So it was pointless. It was dumb. I'm sure, I guess they're building a feud, even though Strowman's not on Raw. I'm assuming he's going to be traded and this whole Wyatt thing is over with, which fine by me, I guess, but he's still a jerk. Um, so yeah, that's what's going on. Um, then in another segment, we had the KO show continuing on from what we had on SmackDown. Um, 
this was kind of nothing happening, but I guess it it's really just teasing towards possibly Kevin Owens, you know, continue to see with Bray Wyatt. Um, but obviously more is going to happen on SmackDown. So I'm assuming he's going to get traded this Friday. So we'll see. But basically uh, he came out. Um, we had a Firefly Funhouse segment because he called out Bray. Um, Bray comes up on the screen, says that Kevin is a new friend. Um, he says that uh, Kevin says he won't be brainwashed like Alexa is and demands that Bray come out to the ring. Uh, Bray says that Alexa is none of Kevin's business. That's between him and her talking about the fiend and uh, Alexa. So Brace uh, says that Kevin has no idea what he's gotten himself into, but he'll find out Friday uh, what he's gotten himself into. So at least it's teasing SmackDown more so than anything, uh, but doesn't do much to what's going on on Raw, I guess. So uh, Bray leaves. Kevin still wants to fight. So he's heading up the ramp to go find him. When all of a sudden Al Shabbat comes out from behind, attacks him, lays him out the black mass and hopefully ends their feud of whatever it was. Uh, and then finally to end the show, we had another Bianca Belair EST segments. These have been really good so far. Uh, this one, not so much this week, uh, not a very good segment. Cause basically it was to tease that she was the smartest uh, of the group of the women, I guess. So to show this, they didn't show off her ring psychology didn't show off her ring IQ of like her dominating her opponents, not only physically, but mentally in the ring. No, uh, instead they decided to do trivia with three other random girls. So she answered a bunch of smart questions that nobody knew really the, what the questions were. She just knew the answers. Uh, definitely the weakest of all the ESC segments, but hey, whatever. I'm just happy to see her getting a push. Ready to see a wrestle on Raw. Hopefully this is the last one because it's definitely the weakest. So we'll see next week if she actually debuts. And hopefully she stays on Raw. Um, but hey, we'll see. Um, but yeah, that's Raw for this week. Um, again, the main segments were the best thing on the show. The other segments, not so much. So if I had to grade it, I would probably honestly give it... It's like right in between a C plus and a B minus. Like, I guess I'll give it a B minus because it wasn't a bad show all in all. Like, it had some dumb stuff like the 24-7 thing that was like completely useless. A lot of the matches were still fillers in this three-hour show. But like I said, the main stories of the show were pretty strong. It made it watchable. It wasn't completely horrible. So I will give it a low B minus. Um, so not, I thought SmackDown was a little bit better all in all, but still not a bad Raw show altogether. So. Somewhat surprising this week that they're managed to be decent shows. And I'm actually looking forward to the draft show this week because, like I said, I think Kevin Owens could be good on SmackDown. I like the main stories that are going on. So it's keeping me watching all right. And, hey, when Matt comes back next week from his detox tour, uh, you know, maybe we'll have some good shows that he can come back to. So yeah, all I all, might actually watch the draft show. I, I've always liked the drafts. So we'll see. Yeah. So, see yeah, it's Friday is where they're going to start the draft. I mean, I don't. Last time they had the networks get involved, they had GMs that nobody knows about. So I don't know how they're going to do it. Maybe Adam Pierce can play the middleman to the GMs that nobody knows who they are. I'd be fine with that. Um, so we'll see. But yes, the draft show this week on SmackDown. Uh, so stay tuned if you want to watch it. Uh, also, thanks again for tuning in this week. Thanks for staying tuned to us. We are like climbing up on the listens, and we can't thank you guys enough. Um, I mean, we had some really big, you know, we had a big hit on the meme that we put out this week on the uh, AEW Reddit that we had a lot of fun with. 
uh, it ended up on the cover. Uh, I had a lot of fun making it and it was just a lot, you know, I mean, really funny, but uh, got a lot of eyeballs on the show. And I mean, it showed we had a lot of listens this week on the show turned out really well. So we can't thank you guys enough. So yeah. follow us on uh, social media. We're on Twitter at Russell life pod, uh, Facebook and uh, Instagram at Russell life radio. You can listen to our podcast anywhere on any stream channel, obviously, wherever you're listening to this now, uh, just tune in every week. We put a new episode out uh, on our weekly show on Wednesday. Saturdays usually put out an indie focus or either a special show. I think this week we're actually going to have a best and a worst, or maybe not. I think it's to celebrate Chris Jericho. We're going to have a best of the best to celebrate his 30 years of uh, wrestling. That'd be cool. Yeah. So uh, stay tuned for that. We can't thank you guys enough. Again, uh, you can follow Matt uh, on Facebook and Instagram at Russell Life Matt. Uh, and on Twitter, I think at Russell F. Matt. And you can follow me on Instagram at Kyle.Polly. Thanks again, guys. We cannot thank you enough for listening, like I said. Uh, so keep tuning in. We'll keep putting out good shows. And uh, tune in next week. Thanks again, guys. See ya.